Hello, all. Welcome to the X Millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for SeedSing.com. I am your host, Artie Kulik, and it is that time of the year again. We are finished up down under. We're done with our Foster's beer and our blooming onions and whatever other fake Australian, Australian stuff. Australian accent <laughs> is terrible. It's worse than mine. A, is it a knife? That's not a knife. This is a knife. That is not an Australian <laughs> accent at all. I just had Paul Hogan in here, and you just said Paul Hogan doesn't know how to speak Australian. That wasn't me. That was him. Yeah. <laughs> was that his name, Paul Hogan? I think so. Okay. But it's, you got to say down under. Uh, <laughs> so that is the voice of the greatest other, other host, Tina. How are you today, Tina? I'm good. Look, it's a little. I wish I was in Australia. I have, it hasn't been sunny here for a week and a half. Oh, God, probably yeah. longer. Yeah, I think the I, sun's come out. I don't know when your company transferred us to Seattle, but why didn't you tell me or wake me up or t- yeah, any of that? It's awful. Last week, I did a podcast with Ty about French fries, which I have, man, people were not happy with me about that one, more so than I think one any that I've ever done. But the one person that I know that was not happy that actually has a microphone in front of him was you. So what, what's your rebuttal to me before we get into tennis? Oh, well, first of all, on the In-N-Out French fries, you said that all fast food places double fry their fries. Everybody double fries their fries because that's how you properly make French fries. You have to cook them in lower temperature oil to get the inside of the French fry cooked. And then you crisp it in higher temperature oil. Otherwise, you wind up with In-N-Out fries and they're just bad. And the other thing about In-N-Out fries is that they don't put salt on their French fries. They give you this sad little salt packet on top of the fries. Like who is going to eat a French fry without salt? If you are this concerned about your health, you probably don't need to be eating French fries. Don't you know the code, though, when you go to In-N-Out and say, I'll take fries double with N-A-C-L or something? Isn't that the code? I don't know. Will they salt your fries <laughs> if you ask for them ocean style or whatever? <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Listen up there. When you're not out there praising J-Town, there, uh, maybe you In-N-Outers can figure that out. Well, let's jump to the topic at hand, okay? The Australian Open. And we're going to start with the women here because it was a bit more chaotic. It was like the last few years, the men's college basketball tournament has had some chaos in it. Some, you know, number one seeded teams like Purdue losing to 16 seeded teams. I'm like, going to take that person. <laughs> that's that kind of chaos there. Why you got to hurt? You know what? I will let you do a victory lap when Purdue wins a national title this that year. <laughs> the way I let Ty do his victory that lap. That will never happen. <laughs> And I think Ty's written about five more articles about Michigan since then. So yeah, I that again, if I think my reaction if Purdue were to win the national title would be like, ah, oh, look at that. But the men's tournament tends to be more like the women's college basketball tournament. It tends to be one team that's gonna win it all. Yeah. Which was different, but we'll we'll get to that. I want to start with the women here first and start start at the very top here. It was Sabalenka against Somebody I'd never heard of before. Zheng Shinwen. Tell me what your thoughts were on that final match. So I didn't watch the final. I'll be honest with you, because, you know, it was on 3.30 in the morning. And it was really hard to see going into Sabalang had been playing such dominant tennis. And it was hard to see how that was going to be anything other than Sabalenka in two. Looked at the scoreline and, yep, Sabalenka in two. I mean... Zheng Chenwen is a young-ish player. She's actually being coached by Per Reba, who the last time we saw him in the coach's box was on Coco Goff's team when she was winning the U.S. Open. So 
yeah, she's a, a promising young player. She's into the top 10 now with this performance. The first top 10 player, I think, since Lena. So yeah, she, she'll be fun to watch in, in years to come, but obviously wasn't quite prepared or up to the task this time around. And k- kudos to Sabalenka. You know what's interesting? No, I don't know. Among Belarusian women, four major titles, all Australian Opens. Two for Sabalenka, two for Azarenka. Well, that's that's where they know how to play, I, I guess. guess. <laughs> kind of weird. Let's talk about what I said, though. There is, I mean, it, it was fairly chaotic. The top half of the women's draw, carnage, carnage. None of the following made the fourth round. Iga Sviantek, Jessica Pagula, Elena Rabakina, and there's one other big seed that went out. Who was it? Was it Svidalina? No. I mean... You've got my notes. Give me my notes. Yeah, yeah so Pagula, Sviantek, oh, Vondrosheva, who was the Wimbledon champion. Yeah, so all four of them were out before the round of 16. Jabur went out early to Mira Andreva in the second round. Mira Andreva, a 16-year-old who made the third round and has, I think, made at least the second or third round in every slam since she not, debuted. Not bad. She's going to be one to watch. She's she's very, very good. She's very confident. Um, she's got a great I mean, didn't we say the same thing about Coco Goff? She did good. And what's she done since then? Yeah, won the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open <laughs> at 19. So, yeah. That slow and steady rise. We'll we'll get there when we get to the men's tour and we talk about the men's champion. I remember at some point, probably last weekend, before the uh, fourth round was played, I, I think I read you the list of names that were in the women's singles fourth round. And I'll read them to you again, because I asked you how many of these names do you recognize? Linda Noskova, Elena, Svid- Elena Svidalina, Vika Azarenka, Diana Yastremska, Jasmine Paulini, Anna Kalinskaya, Junction Wen, and Oceane Dodon. Right? That is one of those women by the fourth round. One of those women was going to make the final. Right? Incredible. And you know that Svitolina and Azarenka had to be looking at that draw going, ooh, that's mine. And Svitolina, everybody likes her. And she came back from her maternity break with a renewed sense of purpose in Paris, has been playing great tennis, has been playing aggressive tennis, and I think made the maybe the fourth round in Paris, maybe the quarters, made the semis at Wimbledon. And here she is in the fourth round with that draw in front of her. You got to think that's maybe her best shot at making a final. And I, I flipped on the TV to uh, to watch her match with Linda Noskova, Noskova being the one that took out Shriantek. Noskova is a promising young Czech player as there are, you know, 50 promising young Czech women, right? But turn on that match, the Noskova Svidalina match, and three games in, Svidalina retired. She had some kind of back spasm or pulled something during the first game of the match. And and this is not somebody that retires easily, right? <laughs> somebody that kind of guts through the pain. And, and she was in tears leaving the court probably because she knew that this was one of the best opportunities she's ever going to have. So that's that that was sad. Although it would have been probably worse for geopolitics, you know, she's Ukrainian. Yeah. If she had gotten her ass kicked by a Belarusian in the final. Yeah, that probably we'll, we'll talk some <laughs> geopolitics here in the second half, but yeah. This I, I know leading up to the tournament and again, I always try to be the voice of the casual fan. 
the big story leading up was Coco Goff was coming back to play. Well, what do you mean coming back to play? Well, this was her first major since she gave birth, isn't it? Naomi Osaka? Yeah, or Osaka. Who did I say? Yeah, you said Goff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, Osaka. Yeah, yep. And Osaka ran into Caroline Garcia. Caroline Garcia can take out anybody and, on any day. And she took out Osaka. She did. I, I don't I don't know if that was a disappointing result for Osaka or if it's just again, Caroline Garcia can take out anybody any day. She hits really hard. And when the balls go in, you can't get them back. They just don't always go in, which is why she hasn't done better than she has. But speaking of golf, right? She backed up that US Open win with semifinal appearance mm-hmm. here and, and and lost to the champion. And played a couple of tough sets with Sabalenka, who she had beaten in the US Open final. So Coco had a good showing as well. Well, I'll ask at the end if she's for real. But I mean, I'm trying to think, though, outside of the just the mess of the draw. And again, much like the men's tournament, you'll get these 10 seeds make the final four, but it's usually a top seed that's going to win. So even last year, I think Sabalenka was a number two seed. Right. Yeah. I think even last year, I mean, UConn was like the four or something like that. The champions are going to come out at the end of the day. But outside of anything before, as Waylon Smithers would say, let's bring on the men. Anything else from the women's tournament you wanted to highlight? No, I don't think so. I think it was fun tournament with a lot of upsets in the first week. You were saying, why don't the seeds play each other in the first week? Which, well, I have know, that was ideas. your hot take. For the- <laughs> I also think every MLB team and every NBA team should make the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> so- well, I'll, ta- I'll discuss all that down the road. All right, let's bring the men on. It's seemingly, I know I read your notes and you said like Alcaraz didn't do very well, but I was looking at it and he was straight setting everyone until he made the quarters until he wasn't against Alexander Zverev. And I watched the last set and a half there. He didn't play well. And it's not even that he didn't play well. When he started losing, he didn't really rally. He didn't really try to figure his way out through the match. And again, he's still pretty young, right? It was just kind of immature. But who's not really young, who has been mowing people down, who has never lost a semifinal or whatever? Every time he has made the semifinal in Australia, he has won the tournament. But not this year. Except for this year. And And that's Novak Djokovic. Mm -hmm. So no Djokovic, no Alcaraz. Yeah. Instead, you get perpetual bridesmaid Daniel Medvedev <laughs> and and Yannick my Sinner. favorite player Medvedev and Sinner, who is a name I've heard. I've heard people talk about. Oh, watch out for him! I know you had brought up how last year at Wimbledon they had like this mural of past champions and like who the future is. Yeah, but no Pete, no Steffi. Oh. Seems like an oversight. I kind of wanted that whole thing to be because they had they had the Williams sisters in the back. They had. Chrissy and Martina, they had the big three. There's no Andy Murray. Also seems like a little bit of an oversight. Yeah, that, that really makes um, but no But they sense. had Becker and Edberg and Borg and McEnroe. And I kind of wanted there to be like a little window in the back where you see Andy Roddick, Patrick Rafter, and Justine Hennon just looking at <laughs> These are all people with great Hall of Fame yeah. careers mm-hmm. who are all so close to Justin it. Justin Hennon never won that? Three sets in the final twice. Uh, once yeah. to Venus Williams, once to Amelie Moresma. Uh. But Sinner was one of those people on the front. In the front with Alcaraz. Yeah. And I guess he backed it up. 
Yeah. And and before I give it to you, I, I want to say, because where we are here on Eastern time, Eastern standard time in the U.S., because I know we actually have listeners in Australia and I get a bump on this one in particular, but the the matches are you on. You mean like, they're actually Australians listening to my Australian accent? I know they download. Or your <laughs> Paul Hogan impression? That was Paul Hogan. Yeah. Sitting right here. How dare you insult him? <laughs> okay. He's having a Foster's and cooking us up a blooming onion. I don't think they have blooming onions. <laughs> no, they in don't. I, I don't. I think they think Foster's is like natural light. I, I'm going to get a. I'm going to get a lot of hate again. I need to stop this. But <laughs> when the matches start at like 3 a.m. or 3:30 a.m. or something like that. Yeah. So finals. 3 a.m. here is 7 p.m. there. So mm-hmm. the, I think the finals start at 7:30. So you had gotten up and turned on it was the replay and, and you didn't look at any social media news or anything like that yeah but they started the replay late in the second set which it's a problem with espn is that they won't just show you the whole match start to, <laughs> they cut it for time so yes. you kind of know and when i got up i had seen that medvedev was up two sets to none and you like told me don't tell me how this ends and i, I didn't know and i went i was I, pretty sure just based on when they started the match it was going five i just well, and that's when I looked at it and I saw that Sinner, who was down two sets to none, won it in five sets. Yep. What in the hell happened? First of all, let's talk about Yannick Sinner for a minute. There is this kind of joke going around the internet right now about post-puke Sinner. So in the part of the tennis season that most people forget about, which is the part after the U.S. Open, there's a 1,000 tournament in Beijing. During that tournament, one of the middle rounds, Yannick Sinner started to look really not well, went and threw up in a trash can, and basically has barely lost a match since he threw up in that trash can. He won the China Open, led Italy to a Davis Cup title, beat Djokovic along the way, beat Djokovic once at Davis Cup, once in the round-robin phase of the ATP Tour Finals, and again in Australia. So Djokovic three times since he threw up in that trash can. You know, (laughs) I don't do this anymore. I don't condone it. But when I was younger and we'd go to dog tracks, I was with a friend one time and they'd always bring the dogs out before the race. And this one dog just took a big old dump on the track. My friend got up and ran and said, I'm betting on that dog. And that dog won. So maybe I say that maybe sinner. He puked (laughs) up all of his. Yeah, he was. Sinner's played some great matches, right? So when Alcaraz won Wimbledon last year, he played Sinner in the semis and they went five sets, right? He's got game. He can play, right? And everybody's always known that he can play. And a lot of times players will bring in these super coaches, right? So like Coco Goff last year had Pereba in as her coach. And then they brought in Brad Gilbert as another advisor. Yannick Sinner has this coach, this guy named Vagnazzi, because you may not know it, but Yannick Sinner is Italian. Yeah, it's a very Italian Italian name. name. (laughs) Him and Matteo Berrettini, right? (laughs) Matteo clearly looks Italian. (laughs) Sinner doesn't. So anyway, he has this coach, this guy named Vagnazzi, but they brought in Darren Cahill, who is maybe a guy that that Mm -hmm. you've heard of, right? Darren Cahill coached Agassi, coached uh, Leighton Hewitt, Simona Hallett, right? So a pretty good track record and so he sort of came in as like a consultant coach with Yannick Sinner and yeah and and they they did it and he's just been slowly getting better right over the last few years he came out really really hyped like three years ago or so three four years ago 
the knock on him was always that he underperforms in slams. Again, but Wimbledon semifinal last year, it's like a slow and steady, right? It's not out of nowhere, boom, and then you win. Actually reminds me a lot of golf, right? So, so sometimes you have somebody like Andrescu who just comes out of nowhere and wins. And sometimes you have somebody that you've been like Federer also. We've been watching him for a really long time before he finally won. He outlasted Medvedev. So the thing about Medvedev, right? That's what I was going to ask. I mean, another. So Medvedev has a couple of dubious distinctions now. One is he's now the only man to have been two sets up in a Grand Slam final and lost it twice because he did this against Rafa two years ago. Medvedev, this was his sixth major final. He's only won the one against Djokovic when Djokovic was going for that calendar slam, right? He's lost one to Rafa, one to Djokovic, and now one to Sinner in Australia. Lost one to Djokovic and one to Rafa in New York. Part of it, Medvedev kept getting himself into five-set matches. I think it was a second-round match. He played five. He lost the first two sets to Emil Rusevori in a match that started at 1130 at night. Yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing that. And he won it, and right? He wasn't Was Medvedev the number two seed? Three. He was the number okay, three, three seed. Okay. Center was the fourth Four seed. Fourth seed, yeah. yeah. Alcaraz was the second seed. But your match starts at 1130 at night, which is BS. I mean, let's be real. It is to start a five, best of five match at 1130 at night. But if your match is starting at 1130 at night, you really can't lose the first two sets to Emil Rusevori. When you're Daniil Medvedev, you, you can't do it, right? So he had a couple of really late finishes, a couple of played five sets with Sasha Zverev, which we'll get to in a minute. The other record Daniil Medvedev broke was the number of sets played in a Grand Slam tournament. Okay. Now, he's also, I think, broke the record for longest time on court. He was on court for over 24 hours. Like, I think, like, the next five longest times on court, those people all won the tournament, right? So to spend that much time on court and not even win, that's awful. Well, he won something. He won, like, the runner-up He won the plate, and, yeah. right. I mean, in, on some level, he did this to himself by getting himself into unnecessary five-setters that he didn't need to be getting into. I would say that the scheduling didn't help him. The Australian Open and the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open is lucky that they haven't had any finishes at 4 a.m. They're just lucky because they do the same thing. It's not fair to the players, especially a player that's expected to go deep like Daniil Medvedev. It's not fair to do it to any player. It, it's, it's, not, it's not fair. Medvedev came out in his first two sets, played really, really aggressively. And Sinner, it's his first major final. Probably a little overawed by the occasion, right? And Medvedev came out and took it to him. But <laughs> Medvedev even said in his press conference afterwards, I've been getting tired after two sets in all of my matches. Now. The fact that he still managed to play five with Zverev, right, and win a lot of those matches after being tired, okay. But Sinner's not going to, he's a better player than Zverev. He's not going to let you get away with being tired in that fifth set. So and good for Sinner. The occasion didn't overawe him. At one point in the semifinal, there was a, there, there was a point where we looked like we might have a Djokovic-Zverev final, and everybody was Jeez. like, ooh, and kind then we got our sounds kind of like a Kansas City San Francisco Super Bowl kind of. <laughs> and then we got our Medvedev center final. Everyone was like, "Okay, we're okay with that." 
but I am devastated for Daniel Medvedev. I mean, it's like when you're watching Andy Roddick lose those four other finals to Federer, watching Andy Murray lose his five Australian Open finals to Djokovic. I don't know if he lost them all to Djokovic. It's just the the resilience it takes to come back from that is something that I admire. Well, before we get into kind of... I'd be devastated. Yeah. Before we get into some of the other topics that we'll cover in the second half, close out this first half, is there anything else from the men's tournament, the tennis, not the generally despicable human beings that may be playing it? So speaking of people that I'm kind of sad for, Medvedev's BFF, Andre Rublev, who's not, who's not as good as Medvedev. <laughs> I've heard of him, though. But he's in the top 10, mm-hmm. is now 0-10 in Grand Slam in Grand Slam quarterfinals. He's made 10 quarterfinals and hasn't gotten past that mm. stage ever. So that's interesting. The other kind of honorable mention, since we're going to talk about doubles a little bit for a minute, Rohan Bopana is an Indian doubles player, and he is the oldest person to ever debut at number one. He is number one in men's doubles. What's he, like 64? 43. Still younger than His me. beard is gray. Right. I mean, it's it's wild. He's always been good. Right. But debuting at number one at the age of 43. Good for that, dude. Yeah, I'm really happy for him. Yeah. Well, okay. that that is the Australian Open in the books, the tense. But there is a lot of topics I want to discuss with you because the sport itself, as you know, is at a pretty damn big crossroads. and. There's some ugliness, and I think along with that ugliness, there's some genuinely great players to root for that I don't want to see them get lost in what's happening. So we'll take a breather here and come back and discuss all that happiness. Hello, all. This is RD, and I want to talk to you about something called Public Forum Productions. Now, you've heard me reference it, and if you are a person that looks deep, deep into the notes, you'll see that Public Forum Productions actually is the producer of The Ex-Millennial Man, the podcast you're listening to right now. Well, 2024 is going to be a big year at PSP, and I want to invite you to become part of that. Go to publicforumproductions.com, and you can see the stable of shows we have. It's a network, kind of like, think of it like Netflix, and Ex-Millennial Man is one of the shows. We also have High Heels and Politics, First Watch, Rewatch. And coming in 2024, we already have two shows actively in production right now. One is called Where Did You Go to High School? I know a lot of our listeners are in the St. Louis area and are in Southwest Ohio because you guys know Ty or myself. And that's the biggest question. Where did you go to high school? For the record, I went to Lafayette High School in in St. Louis, in the St. Louis area. But it's a big, big deal. My son here in Southwest Ohio goes to a really well-known high school, and it kind of identifies who we are. Also, the other show we have working on is called Satan Remembers. It's a history of the 1980s satanic panic. That is where we're done planning it. We're getting ready to record, do interviews and stuff. And I, I want to really make this good. It's going to be a series that's going to go through what happened in the early 1980s and kind of the moral panic and the accusations of Satanism that destroyed a lot of people's lives, destroyed a lot of people's businesses, and all were completely unfounded. And I want to do that now because a lot of what we saw 40 years ago, we're seeing today. So I think it's very important. 
Again, go to publicforumproductions.com, reach out to me. And if you want to be a guest, if you want to do your own podcast, if you have information that can help us with these things, because like I said, those two shows are currently in production, but we have a few that are in pre-production and I'm going to really need going to really need some voices for there. So again, publicforumproductions.com and let's get back to the conversation. Okay, Tina, I feel bad about this. I know you like tennis a lot Mm -hmm. and I know Ty likes college football a lot. And I'm like, well, you know, actually they don't have medical insurance and they're all get concussions and NIL is just exploiting them even more. And I feel like I'm that guy that's just going to come in the room and say, it's all stupid. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do that at the beginning here. All right. What in the holy hell is it about Zverev that makes the tennis world pump him up as some kind of great thing? From my understanding, he has credibly been accused of abuse twice. Abuse of his... Two different women. Yeah, two different women. Yeah. And I believe one of them he got, I, again, a, a conviction or whatever it is, a German court or something. The basically. German court ordered him to pay like half a million euros as a penalty order. Now, I guess I know almost nothing about the German legal system, but I know more than I did a few months ago because of this case. But I I guess the way it works and don't at me if you're a German lawyer, but or please do to us. You already offended the Aussies. You're going to offend the Germans too. Anyway. So my understanding is that the German legal system If the judge decides that there's basically enough evidence to support a conviction, they can just give you one of these penalty orders without a trial for certain offenses. And then if you appeal, you can have a trial. So he was given this penalty order to pay like half a million dollars, half a million euros. And then he appealed. And so now he has a trial that is set to start during the French Open. But okay, so this guy, first of all, Accused by one girlfriend a couple of years ago, credibly accused, had contemporaneous accounts and people that saw her. She had photographs of bruises and stuff like that. Obviously, enough time has passed and there's not we don't take domestic abuse that seriously in this country. So or in any country, frankly, I was about to say this is uh, Germany and we're talking about a tournament in Paris. Well, uh, Germany found him guilty, at least. Yeah. So. The ATP on the first allegation said they were, quote unquote, doing their own investigations like Joe Rogan doing his own research. Right. And they didn't find anything. So he didn't have any consequences for that. And then the mother of his child said that he choked her. And (laughs) again, a court found this credible enough to actually levy a fine against him for it. And yet this guy is like the ATP keeps like just trying to make him a star still now, still and now, is it, it's well, just well, because he's me, good looking is it you well know? yeah but let me he he won the COVID U.S. Open is that right no he huh, he served for the COVID U.S. Oh, Open okay so he hasn't won lost anything. to Dominic team that's the only final he's ever made and I know there is that Netflix, there's a Netflix show that. A yeah, lot of Breakpoint. People, it's, yeah. it's not for me. The first season wasn't really for me because they don't actually show you any tennis. All they do is show you close ups of people hitting the ball, which doesn't give you any feel for how the points are constructed or why the sport might be fun to watch. What I thought was funny during that first season is that they were trying to showcase other players. But that was a season that Rafa and Djokovic won every slam. 
They won two apiece, right? And they're not on camera, except for like moments where you see them almost like circling like sharks. <laughs> kind of funny, actually. But that show's not for me. So I wasn't really going to watch the second season anyway. But um, wasn't the second season wasn't as fair of like the second season, like apparently or something. Yeah. So so in 22, Zverev was playing this match with Nadal at Roland Garros and was playing amazing. Well, the first set lasted like an hour and a half. And then in the second set, hurt his ankle bad enough that he had to be wheelchaired off the court. And, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess. The story that the Breakpoint producers tried to tell is his triumphant return to the court, right? And huh, this, this show is made in conjunction with the ATP and the WTA. The tours sanction this crap, right? So they make Zverev out to be the hero in his episode, make absolutely no mention of these pending domestic violence charges at all, which is a choice. Right. We all make editorial choices, and that is certainly a choice that they made. Another choice they made was to make Daniil Medvedev the quote unquote villain yeah, in yeah, this whole enterprise. Which, first of all, Medvedev, his wife is best friends with the first woman that accused Zverev of domestic abuse. Zverev kept saying that he and Medvedev were friends. And Medvedev's like, we're not friends. So he clearly doesn't like him. They tried to make Zverev out to be the hero and Medvedev out to be the villain. The other thing that's wrong with that is that Medvedev is maybe the single most engaging personality on the tour. And I understand you say he's Russian. They can't pump up a Russian player, but he is delightful. He is such a great, like, after he lost the Australian Open final, you could, obviously devastated, right? In this very he heartfelt moment, kind of apologized to his wife and baby daughter that he, he didn't win the tournament and then said something like, I guess it's better to lose in the final than to not be in the final. Well, I'll, <laughs> again, I'll, it's such a real moment. Yeah. I'll always remember Medvedev. The first final he lost was to Nadal. Yeah. And they did, the, they had this whole like video tribute to Nadal. Cause it was his 19th major. Right. <laughs> and Medvedev said something like, I don't know what you guys would have done if I would have won. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, del he is so delightfully strange. I mean, his, his encore interviews. Right. You never, ever know what he's going to say. You can tell it like Jim Curry or Pam Fryer, whoever's interviewing him. It's just like they never know what's going to come out of his mouth. And it's not in an assy way. It's just weird and unexpected. He's, he's awesome. And so the fact that they're trying to make Zverev into this star and Medvedev into the bad guy is just it's so appalling. And I don't know what like there are better person. Alcaraz. You can lean into Carlos Alcaraz. You can lean into Yannick Sinner. You can lean into Daniel Medvedev. All of these guys are great. They're better players than Zverev, first of all. And they're more engaging personality. I mean, I don't know if Sinner is a more engaging personality, but he's certainly not a dirtbag like Alexander Zverev. Like, why would you do that? And the only reason I can think of, and I have no concrete evidence that this is the case. But Alexander Zverev is signed up with Roger Federer's management company. That's probably it. Again, I don't know that that's it. It probably but is. There it is. Right. And the, the sad part is, is that Zverev is a very good player, right? He is very, he has the tennis to win a major. You know what the sad part is, though? He's a choker.
didn't. Yeah, but, right. but no, he <laughs> he was. I think he was up two sets to love on Medvedev, and Medvedev came back and took that match from him. And that match was on Zverev's racket, and Zverev choked it away, just like he again he he was serving for the match in the fifth set of the U.S. Open final. And I remember saying to you then, he's not winning this match. I didn't believe he was going to win the match. He was serving for the match, and I didn't believe he could win it. Yeah, again, he's very good. He's not as good as those other guys that I mentioned. And those other guys that I mentioned aren't giant dirtbags. Holger Runa, who is a loudmouthed, brash kid, right, hasn't been accused of domestic violence, not only has... Alexander Jarrett had been credibly accused by two different women of domestic violence. He attacked the umpire's chair after a first round doubles match in Acapulco. Okay. It's a first round doubles match at like a 500 level tournament. And he lost his mind enough to walk over to the umpire's chair and bash his racket into the umpire's chair inches away from the umpire's feet. He did get suspended for that but not for domestic violence for people like due process. I'm not saying put him in jail, right? Just talk about it. A, you can talk about it, right? Which I know that Mary Carrillo actually was supposed to do the call for the labor cup last year and pulled out because they told her she couldn't talk about it. So she declined to do the commentary. And this is my like yearly or every so yearly go to YouTube and look up Mary Carrillo badminton. And you are going to have the greatest (laughs) five minutes of your life. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a little palate cleanser from Alexander Zvera before we move on to the next unpleasant I say, topic. Yeah, let, let's get to the let's get to the other dirt here. So quote I love to use all the time. I tell people there's my two favorite like movie quotes is it's not show friends, it's show business from Jerry Maguire. And when Harvey I said D- that to somebody today. Yeah. <laughs> when <laughs> Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight says you either die the hero or you live long enough to be the villain. Rafael Nadal. Yeah, is coming into his his swan song, his farewell tour, and he didn't play this tournament. No, right? he was going to. He pulled yeah, out. Yeah. yeah, he. I think he said he's going to play Indian Wells, though, if I'm not mistaken. But he decided to. Or still, he said he's going to play Dubai. Yeah, but he decided to still give. He put give, himself in the news. Give some cover to a BS story. So, yeah. w- where did Nadal suddenly become? Where did he go from Harvey Dent to becoming Two Face now? Rafael Nadal is now the ambassador of saudi tennis i mean we know that the saudis through the whole live golf enterprise they're trying to get the wta finals right they're trying to get a tournament in riyadh a big one and we know that they're trying to sports wash themselves and that was one of the more disappointing things that i've ever seen how much money is enough i mean here's my hot take on this right Given how Michael Jordan Republicans buy shoes to Rafa Nadal and, and Roger Federer being, a part of me is starting to appreciate Djokovic and his wacky stances on things. You Start appreciate Djokovic. A, a part of me is really starting to appreciate Djokovic and his, this is who I am, like it or not. Right? The, the guy, again, he's totally misguided on the vaccine thing, but he's never lied like Aaron Rodgers. And you you could argue, and I'm not I'm not trying to make Djokovic a hero here, but you could argue he lost out on at least two other titles. Yeah, you could very it. you could very much argue about it. 
Djokovic has been instrumental in trying to push the prize money downward instead of hoarding it at the top. Hoarding at the top is more for him. He's trying to push it down to the players ranked 100, 150, 200 in the world so that they can make a living, right? He's been really vocal about that. Again, I might, at this late date, (laughs) I think, I love Novak Djokovic when he first came out and he was funny and he was doing impressions and stuff like that. All the guys in the locker room love him in not relatable stories. Medi was talking about, he was practicing with Djokovic and talking about how he was, how he was going to get to Australia. And Djokovic was like, just come with me in my plane. <laughs> Which again, it's not relatable. No, 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 but that. But he doesn't have to do that, right? <laughs> so, and yeah, he said, he said that I was like, he said, oh, are you sure? And Djokovic's like, yeah, just come with me. So <laughs> again, I think I might be coming around on Djokovic. Hey. Just because these other two guys, playing wise, I would watch Roger Federer play a match anywhere, right? It's just a beautiful, it's a thing of beauty to watch. But as as far as at like people that I don't think are dirtbags, I'm coming around on Novak Djokovic. Because honestly, his taping magnets to his chest, I, you know, whatever. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so speaking, though, of pushing the money down. Now, and you've talked a lot about this. I know a lot of people talk about well, the Tennessee. Go, going back on Saudi tennis. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, go ahead. The WTA, they've been trying to get the WTA finals for a long time. They were going to do it last year. There was outcry from the players or outcry from quarters about doing it last year. So they put together this hastily put together tournament in Cancun that all the players, and again, it's only top eight because it's a tour final. They all said it was a disaster, right? They, they didn't have proper practice course. They didn't have proper warm-up and cool-down facilities. And that is a problem, right? These are elite athletes. And you know that you do this in Riyadh. Whew, your facilities are going to be really nice, right? And Billie Jean King, I don't know if it's just this whole equal prize money is a be-all, end-all of the WTA tour. No, she's a rich lady that has spent 50 years with rich people. That's what it is. I mean, maybe, but, you know, you are not going to change Saudi Arabia by putting tennis tournament there. And I appreciate the hell out of Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova wrote a piece, I think, in the Washington Post, maybe New York Times. I think it was the Washington Post. Co-authored a piece in the Washington Post saying, basically, hell no, the WTA cannot be complicit in the Saudi regime. The WTA is the single most important women's sports organization in the world, right? Come at me, FIFA, but in the world. Female tennis players are the most recognizable female athletes in the world. You cannot legitimize this regime. You can't. It really, I find it upsetting. Well, to to continue on, and I promise I'm going to end on something more positive here, is so... The tennis season's too long. Yes. Everybody feels that way. Yes. And there's... Oh, so one of my favorite Medvedev stats, and and I promise this is relevant. No, that's okay. One of my favorite Daniel Medvedev stats is that he has won 21 titles at 21 different tournaments. That's kind of awesome in a weird, crappy way. It is incredibly (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Right? It is is the weirdest stat ever. (laughs) Well, there's this notion, though. I thought... Djokovic was somebody talking about or somebody talking about this like super tour or something like that to to make certain 
events more valuable. Well, now, we are before, before we go on, we live here in Cincinnati, which we have one of the big tournaments. And, and it's staying it for like 25 years. And <laughs> yeah. it's, this would this super tour kind of thing would have been devastating for that tournament if it hadn't if it had been downgraded to a 500 or a 250. So part of the issue with tennis is that there are seven governing bodies in tennis. That is six too many, right? You have the four slams, you have the ITF who run like Challenger, they run Davis Cup, right? And then you have the ATP Tour and WTA Tour. You can't get seven people to agree on anything, let alone seven organizations who have competing interests, right? The ATP is never going to want equal prize money because in a zero-sum game, they'd be losing. I get it. But yeah, the season is too long. And some people would say it's too hard for people to follow. So there's been talk of doing a super, quote-unquote, super tour, which would be the nine 1,000-level tournaments. I think seven of them are combined men's and women's, and then two of them on each tour are separate. So there's nine 1,000-level tournaments. And then there's the four majors, and then like a tour finals, right? That would give players more time off. I mean, now they seem to use their December off to go play exhibitions in Saudi Arabia anyway. So I don't know if they need the time off, but <laughs> you know, I think it would be better for the sport if players were better rested. I mean, I think one of the cool things about the U.S. Open is that the players are all tired because it's kind of the end of the season, but it's not the end of the season, right? I think it would be more impactful if it were the end of the season. But so they're talking about basically saying for the top 100 players ish that they if you finish in the top 100 for a year, then you are guaranteed entry to all of those events without having to play qualifying and you would be guaranteed a minimum salary. So if you didn't make that in prize money, you would get the ATP or WTA would top you up. All right. I don't think it's a terrible idea. I do think it turns the, the 250s and the 500s into nothing tournaments, which again, why it's a huge deal that Cincinnati retained its 1000 level tournament status. Well, huge deal for us in the local economy because it would make those tournaments bigger even. And I, I think it would probably be good for the players. I do wonder what happens outside the top 100. I don't know exactly how it works. If you don't get to play those events, if you're not in the top 100, how do you ever get into the top 100? I'm sure there's a mechanism to do that. But it, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, it's... Because uh, it is a hard sport to follow. No, it is. And I don't think people understand. And you know what? Davis Cup starts this weekend. Yeah, what what the hell? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just keeps going. And I don't think people like really understand the the footprint these tennis stadiums have. If you a stadium where the Cincinnati tournament is is it's about like 20 miles north of the city of Cincinnati. Yeah. It's across the highway from an amusement park. And its footprint is as big as that damn amusement park. So it is oh, not that like, big. Is if it? you include parking and all that stuff, well, okay, take the it doesn't have its own dedicated park. They park on the golf course. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah, I forgot there's a golf course there. But yeah. okay, well, let's end with I think so. I was the uh, last two times I've been there and parked, I've been parking on a grass field. Okay, so come on, you're important. I'm not that important. You're, I, impor you're I, important to me. I don't put out that kind of money. I would let you park on the, <laughs> the gravel. Or That's very whatever. sweet. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I'm here to give you. So 
Well, this is this is the beginning of the year. You have the tennis tournament, and there's the mythical Golden Slam. Well, I guess not mythical. Steffi Graf won it. It's the only one who's yeah. ever won it. And Djokovic, I think, had his sights on it this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, he did. But right now, there's only two people that have a chance at it, Sabalenka and Sinner. Mm-hmm. And we have the Olympics. They, I, I just pulled it up here right now. And I, I got to say, because I think this is hilarious, the first paragraph of Paris 2024 is, the precursor to tennis was the jeu de pomme, like my French. Sure. <laughs> Which originated in France in the 11th century. Game of Apples, is that what that is? Yeah, but they're like, you know, we invented tennis. I assume that you're pronouncing it more or less correctly. Of course I am. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Maurice Chalvier. You didn't even say that correctly. Yeah, I did. (laughs) And I think he's dead, so I can't claim he's here. But anyway, so, so they're like, hey, we're the French. We invented tennis. Yeah, okay, good for you. Just like you invented flight. Or no, that's the Brazilians that said they did that. But whatever. The event is going to take place. It's going to start July 27th to August 4th. So just a couple of weeks after Wimbledon, they're going back to Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. Which you can I, do that. It's, it's, you know, it's a pretty easy trip. You're right. You're right about that. It's, well, but I, the transition from clay to grass back to clay is not. <laughs> and then they go to Cincinnati right after the Olympics. Yep. <laughs> And then the U.S. Open. So yeah. what a time. But it's a, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm stupid. Like I liked when the Olympics were in London and they were playing the tennis at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And there's the next Olympics. Andy Murray won. Yeah. A he tournament won. at Wimbledon that <laughs> Bef- wasn't Wimbledon right before, before he won. won. No, Wimbledon. right. Yeah. And then the next Olympics is in L.A. and they'll probably play in whatchamacallit. Uh, Indian Wells. Indian Wells. I almost, I, I almost said Indian Hills. That's a neighborhood near yeah. us. So. They, they might. I mean. They, they might, yeah. Of where that would be the natural place yeah. to play, yeah. So you have an Olympic here, and you have it seems like like joking. when Chicago was putting in their bid, they were actually going to play, play the down tennis down here. Yeah, yeah. So this year, the Olympic year, my first question is: Sinner or Sabalenka? Are they going to be able to go for the Golden Slam? I mean, are they the only ones that have a shot? Sinner has not demonstrated to me that he can play on clay. He might be able to play on clay, but I've never seen it. I'm going to go with the safe money and say no. Yeah. Obviously. First of all, Iga's going to win Roland Garros again. And then probably come back and win the Olympic gold. Very po- good for your home country, ancestral <laughs> homeland. Yeah. So, but it's Yay, an Olympic. I, I don't know why. So there was a dude in Australia that was dressed as the king of Poland who was in all of Iga's matches, and then when she lost, he went over to Hubie Hercatch's matches. <laughs> that dude rocks. So, but I, I I don't know why I like it, but this whole, every time it's an Olympic year, I think it's cool. The, tennis is one of those sports that attracts profession, the top players. Yeah. And so it's always worth watching. It's, I know the, the tournament. The problem is that we live in a world where Rafa might not qualify for the olympics wouldn't, and roland garros wouldn't like spain automatically put him in yeah, no there are rules oh, okay. like you have to be i think i think there are wild like you can get a wild card into the olympic tournament but not if there are already four players from your country qualified so if there are four players from spain there won't be ranked players. higher than rafa all right well i'm gonna i don't know you've got you've got Alejandro Davidovich Fikina, you've got Carlos Alcaraz, you've got, there's, there are Spanish players ranked higher than Rafa, so that would be weird if you couldn't play there. 
All right. Well, I'm going to end this the way I end Venus them all. Williams probably won't qualify to play mm-hmm. at, the, at the Olympics. I'm going to end this the way I end them all. Who do you got in Paris? Oh, Iga for sure has to be the odds on favorite for the women's title, right? We'll we'll go for nostalgia and say that Roth is going to win his 15th. And 15. Well, and <laughs> I, I'm going to save this for that, but I we didn't have the discussion here about Djokovic. Yeah. And we'll see. Oh, he's he's gonna he he's gonna show up, I for, think. But we'll see. When Everybody he, wants Alcaraz to be the next dominant clay player, but I think it's just a lazy he's Spanish yeah, thing. Yeah. So Okay, well, we'll talk about father time next time, maybe, but or we'll talk about weird drinks being mixed. Yeah, we'll we'll know <laughs> if this is the beginning of the end for Djokovic or just a uh, blip on the horizon. I mean, hey, when we started this, it was like, is anybody ever gonna beat Serena or Roger? So that's a, it happens. Well, if anybody needs to find you to, to get your definitive view on what the right roast beef and French fries are, where are they going to find you? I mean, I don't know where they're going to find me anymore. They're going to find me here. They can email you. Yes, they can. And trust me, (laughs) you guys have the email address. I can see that very, very vividly. (laughs) And I did want to say that I talked last week that we are going to start our Patreon podcast where i'm going to let ty talk about one sports topic and he's going to drop a bunch of michigan football names that nobody's ever heard but i'm going to give that to him because for some reason there's those of you out there that that's your kink so i'm going to definitely do that look for that and with all that being said we thank you for your ears anything else that you may use to listen to the ex-millennial man podcast remember we are here every saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows I have actually put together my next season for First Watch Rewatch, which will be coming out March 1st. So look for that. And with all that, that's all I got to say. I hope the sun rang down upon us once again. I hope so. And if not, I'll be joining our Australian listeners. All right. Thank you. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.